This is Daniel Figella, head of research at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research. You're listening to the AI and Business Podcast, where non-technical leaders stay ahead of the AI curve. We've covered many business workflows on the show over the years, and it is blatantly obvious that many clunky systems in legacy enterprises are in drastic need for not just evolution, but in some cases, revolution. But at least in the near term, most AI use cases are going to see themselves through to success when they make a minimal change on the workflow that they're impacting. Four or five years ago, every AI startup thought that they would revolutionize the workflows that they were impacting and realize very quickly that change management, that is to say, getting businesses to do things a new way, getting end users to do things or think about things in a new way, is astronomically harder even then, the very complicated science and application of AI itself. This week, we speak with Patrick Bangert, who is the VP of AI for Samsung SDS. It is the IT services wing of the global technology giant Samsung. In and of itself, it is a $10 billion plus business. Patrick has seen a great many AI applications, including those that Samsung have developed themselves, stumble to make their way into enterprises and others succeed. In this episode, he breaks down what it looks like to make minimal workflow change a goal from the start. How can we think through an AI application through a lens of minimizing change management friction? Again, people and enterprises, as it turns out, are much more complicated even than machine learning systems. And in this episode, Patrick helps to navigate not only AI strategy, but AI adoption in line with a simple and minimal approach. I hope you get a lot of value out of this episode. Without further ado, let's fly right in. This is Patrick Banger with Samsung AI here on the AI and Business Podcast. So Patrick, we're gonna be talking today about making artificial intelligence applications and devices easy to use. Many AI tools, most AI tools, I would argue, are being used by people who aren't really AI experts. They don't write Python on the weekend. They don't know what a support vector machine is. And frankly, they probably don't want to know. But we still we still have to allow them to get some benefits. In the medical world, this is definitely the case. If you've gone to school for 12 years to learn about the ear, nose, and throat, you probably don't want to go in for another four years to learn about Python and Spark. When you think about the critical factors to bring to bear when you're leveling up a medical product, maybe a medical device, to be easy to use for people who aren't AI savvy, what do you think are the most important, again, ideas to bear in mind when you're you're going about that kind of a journey? Yeah, thank you. That's an excellent question. I mean, the thing to bear in mind is that, of course, all of us, whether you're a doctor or not, you're using AI tools on a daily basis, probably on an hourly basis, without even realizing it. So you are already the consumer of easy-to-use AI algorithms, right? If your smartwatch tells you you slept well last night, that's an AI algorithm, and you didn't know it. So the same thing could be applied here in the medical imaging context, where prior to AI, the doctor would just take the image and, and, and look at it, him or herself, and come to a diagnosis. When the AI does it, the image would be what we call annotated. Uh, so a certain part of the image would be highlighted, uh, possibly in color, with a word associated to it, like pneumonia or COVID, so that the doctor gets an automatic pre-processing and can then deal with it. That's, of course, immediate, and it doesn't disrupt the workflow of the doctor. The doctor doesn't have to do anything in addition. 
to what the doctor did before. And the doctor also doesn't have to do anything less than what the doctor did before. The exact same workflow happens, except that there is now an assistance tool being offered to the doctor. Generally speaking, on average, a doctor's diagnosis is correct about 70% of the time. 30% of the time, the doctor's diagnosis is a little off. AI models, if they are deployed correctly, are correct generally 99 point something percent of the time and wrong, you know, point something percent of the time. In other words, the AI models tend to be accurate more often significantly than human doctors, which is, of course, why there is a huge market of second opinions. So there is benefit to this kind of pre-processing diagnosis, the the doctor's opinion that immediately is already the second opinion, right? Because the the primary Mm. opinion came from the AI. So you kind of get a second opinion free of charge, if you will. That will improve the patient outcomes. And provably so, there's plenty of publications on the fact that AI involvement improves the patient outcome. It also reduces the amount of time that the doctors spend on treating the data, diagnosing the data, which has one of two effects. Either the, the doctor is able to spend more time with the patient, which is typically considered good. The number one patient complaint is that the doctors spend too much time on bureaucracy and not enough time with the human patient. The the other possible outcome is that the doctor can treat more patients in the same day, right? So no matter how you look at it, it is better from a health perspective and it is better from an efficiency productivity perspective. Got it. Yeah. So, well, and and in all fairness, I mean, there's obviously a lot of factors that come to bear here. I haven't looked at all of the literature. I, I think I, I do recall, you know, some papers about, okay, if we just take a stack of, is this breast cancer yay or nay, and we give it to the machine or we give it to our best doctor, just the best doctor getting just blown out of the water by the artificial intelligence. I take it that there are some conditions where the image in context is more important than, than the image unto itself. In other words, health history or what have you talked about in your last couple sessions? That some of that stuff the machine isn't quite going to be able to get. So there's some elements beyond the image, and some of the folks in this imaging space are thinking about how do we layer that in? How do we layer in, you know, your your genetic footprint? How do we layer in your health history? How do we layer in, you know, the health history maybe of your family members who you might have a propensity for X X Y or Z? But certainly the general value prop for medical diagnostics is, is quite strong in the imagery side of things. And as you'd mentioned. The goal here is to make it so before we saw an image, now we see an image that is highlighted in some way with a shape that might have some words, some simple prompts to let a physician know maybe where to start. Is this normally done kind of within the same interface they would already be looking at the image? Or is this done in some kind of a new interface because we have to be able to have an interface that can do this layering? Where does this layering of value on top of our images actually happen? It would happen in the exact same interface as it did before. So the doctor wouldn't need to change their behavior or their tool set, neither physical nor digital. It'd be the exact same workflow as before, simply better. Got it. Yeah. In terms of ease of use, it seems like that's clearly the way that things should go. We we did an interview with a company. The, The audio quality wasn't great, which is unfortunate, but we interviewed them two years even prior to that called AI Doc. They've since raised a, a lot more money. 
pipe x-rays up into the cloud, pipe them back down into the exact same place where the radiologist does all their diagnostics anyway. It just now has layers on it. And we're actually seeing a lot more AI startups move into that mode where instead of how can we rethink these processes, they're just saying, what's the juncture or workflow where we can layer value and then plug that in? I can see kind of two sides to this, and I'd love your opinion on this as maybe our, our last point in, in this this interview here around the pros and cons of of kind of that lighter touch, that kind of layered value approach. On the one hand, it, it gets adoption to happen. Nobody wants to relearn a whole bunch of new tools. Nobody wants to rejigger their entire day-to-day workflow. And, you know, they're, they're juggling enough at work and, and change is just hard to do anyway. And people are wondering, is this even going to be worth it? And that's a perfectly worthwhile question. So look, we've got that. It helps with adoption. I think many other industries should take from what's working in healthcare, which is minimal workflow changes as possible and and move that forward, financial services, et cetera. We're starting to see that over the last two years. That said, there are some problems that it's going to be tough to just do this kind of, you know, we think about a pizza versus a lasagna. This is an analogy from another past guest. A pizza, like we just put the toppings on the top. So maybe we got an existing workflow, throw pepperoni on it. Okay, this is going to be good enough. There's others where we actually needed it baked in. We, we, we needed a different tool set kind of baked in. Are there some tasks that if we look farther into the future, maybe a decade out, you believe we might need a different flow of how somebody is scanned, how that data is processed, and maybe even the lenses through which people are doing that analysis, as opposed to kind of throwing this this veneer. And I'm not I'm not down talking these applications, by the way. I think it's a very smart strategy, but putting this veneer on top of current interfaces as it stands. What what are your thoughts about transformation versus near term value and the tension between the two? Yeah. So one thing we have to realize is that in the entire segment of artificial intelligence, not just applied to medicine, nine out of 10 projects never see deployment. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And there is essentially one reason for that, and that's change management. It's never about the quality of the model or the mathematics. It generally works out. The problem is that the users, the end users of whatever tool it is, simply don't want to use it. So the problem is change management, taking people along to the journey, packaging the model in a right kind of interface, making it look good, making it easy to use. That's the challenge. So as soon as you require users to change their workflow, their daily habits, you're lost. You can consider that to be an immediate bankruptcy of your startup if if you have such, right? You must be as invisible as you can in order to, to succeed in any AI application. And in, in medical imaging, particularly not just because the doctors may or may not want to change their workflow, most of the health-related workflows are actually legally stipulated. It has to occur that way, particular way, right? These are not just contractual agreements. These are laws. So again, the legal problem you must be a part of the existing workflow, otherwise you won't exist. And actually, I do not see that changing over the foreseeable future. First of all, because the evolution in medical devices is relatively slow. You know, getting regulatory approval for a new device is is a decade process. And so the workflows are pretty entrenched. So I see, especially imaging, to be like we've talked about. The image is taken, immediately analyzed and annotated, and the doctor sees the annotated image as opposed to the raw image. 
and that's the real change in the game, it's still going to have to be the doctor who decides that you in fact have a disease or what to do about it. I think until we hit the point where AI will diagnose you and that will count leading yeah. to a prescription, that is very far away. I, I, I would fully, I, yeah, I, w- I would fully agree. Well, if, if we do cross that road, then uh, wrong doctor diagnoses by AI will not be the highest of our AI problems. We will have a species right. dominance problem, which will trump any kind of cough medicine that the AI recommends to you. So, okay, really interesting. And, you know, a couple caveats on, on what you mentioned there. I would agree, you know, change management. There's a lot of unique elements of change management with AI. So change management is a problem across the board. With AI, there's all these new ways that we need to treat data and data infrastructure. There's cultural change around being able to iterate. That's not something people are really all that kosher with in many established enterprises. There's, there's new ways that we construct teams and that teams work together and data science mixing with life sciences or data science mixing with other kinds of experts hasn't always worked. So there's a lot of unique elements of, of change management. Certainly that rather than the algo is indeed the much broader cause of failure and, and skills, resources, culture. There's a bunch of factors that, that go into what we consider to be change management there. Although I can see some spaces where maybe a little bit less than healthcare are, you know, over the coming decade, probably just going to happen differently than they happen now. You know, there might be something like an anti-money laundering where the nature of money will be more digital in some sense. And the number of features that come in will be tracked in so many different ways. And even the workflows, even though they are regulated, might just be done or processed in a totally different way that would actually lead to just better security and a more robust, stable place to be in in a new digital world. I think some workflows are going to be wholeheartedly reimagined, but it's interesting to hear from your perspective that in healthcare, because of the legal constraints, because of the relative slowness of innovation, because of pushing something through for clinical trials, et cetera, that you really don't think in the coming decade that that the more fundamental workflow change will be the brunt of AI value, that it will be these junctures in the workflows. Because of how many other stipulations there are, we've got to find these, I don't mean surface layer in an insulting way, but these surface layer ways where we can layer on AI value to an existing ossified skeleton that's going to be very, very hard to move. You, for you, That that's going to be transformation the next decade in health. Yeah, that's my opinion. Cool. All right. Well, hey, we try to gather as many darn opinions as we can on the show and certainly value yours, Patrick. And I I think you bring up some good points about, you know, why healthcare as opposed to we see some startups that really are from the get trying to do something radically different, you know, even like a company like an Airtable or something, you know, that isn't solving one problem. They're like they're made for kind of their early traction was with like younger companies are trying to do things in a wholeheartedly different way. Can't get that off the ground in healthcare. So Certainly some considerations to drum home. People who are in the healthcare space should be thinking about these or heavily regulated spaces should be thinking about these. And I hope all of you are a little bit more prepared to think about the future of your own industry as well. Patrick, I know that's all we have for time, but thank you again so much for joining us on the show. Thank you very much for having me. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. A big thank you to Patrick for being able to join us again on the program. And thank you to you, our listener, for tuning in all the way through to the end of this episode. If you're interested in more direct applications of the things that you're learning here on the show, be sure to check out Emerge Plus. You can go to emerj.com slash p1, that's p as in plus, 
and then the number one, emerj.com slash p1 and learn more about Emerge Plus. This is our private platform where you can get access not only to our complete library of AI use cases and interviews, but also to all of our infographics and frameworks. So if you want to put AI strategy into action or determine new frameworks for measuring AI ROI or building an AI roadmap, all of those resources are in Emerge Plus with all kinds of new search tools for people, again, who are geared towards applying AI. So if you're a consultant and you're working with businesses or you're working inside of an enterprise and you want to be able to have some best practices at hand from other successful AI adopters, go to emerj.com p1. That is all for this episode. Thank you so much for being able to join us. I look forward to catching you in the next one. You're on the AI and Business Podcast.